On this episode of the Highlander Podcast, we talk with Aaron Campbell, field engineer for Instron, makers of product testing equipment. We discuss what makes outdoor gear testing different from other industries, the importance of standards, and how to be a more educated consumer. Okay, welcome back everyone. This is Chase Anderson, and today I'm joined by Aaron Campbell of Instron. Um, what's your title exactly at Instron? I have senior account manager here, yep. but, senior, but field engineer. Senior account manager, senior field engineer, uh, engineering background. Also, you know, my official role is really on the sales side, so a whole lot of the different things. Depending right. technical uh, support some days, new system uh, configuration and sales other days. Um, really the account manager piece kind of sums all that up though. Right. Oh, that's great. So this podcast is, is focused on the outdoors, outdoor recreation, the outdoor industry. Um, I bet people are wondering, well, what is Instron? Maybe a lot of people in the industry haven't heard about it unless they're knee deep into product design and development, but what is Instron? Um, and why is it especially probably interesting for people who spend time in the outdoors? Yeah. Great question. Uh, Instron started uh, 1946 by two MIT uh, students doing uh, parachute research. So they needed to, to test different parachute materials, didn't have a, a machine that was accurate enough. So they founded and actually created a machine for materials testing, which then turned into the Instron company. Um, so fundamentally what we do is material test systems, or uh, the industry calls it universal test systems both static, so tensile compression of any kind of material. Uh, how does it break? How does that material perform at a raw material level? Uh, also dynamic type testing, more fatigue, uh, fracture propagation kind of applications. And then other things for uh, plastics, melt flow, uh, impact, drop test, all those things. So material testing uh, as a succinct, but that evolves into lots of different applications depending on the industry, you know, on the outdoor side, fabrics, you know, uh, on the hard goods and soft goods side of composites, metals, testing those things both at the individual level uh, for components uh, and specimens as we would call it, or at the product more finished goods side of things, you can do some of those same tests at a system level. Right. Now you're based in Salt Lake. The company is is not a Salt Lake based company, but you're, you're based here. Correct. Kind of over this region. Correct. Is that right? Yeah. Company based in Norwood, Massachusetts, so a suburb of Boston. Uh, they started little different area outside of Boston, moved a couple miles away and uh, have settled on Norwood. And then there's uh, over, I think now we're up to 150, give or take, uh, service uh, folks in the field. Uh, one of the few companies that have dedicated service folks for calibration, repair, et cetera. On the uh, sales and application engineering side of things, we have field engineers, field account managers around the U.S. and then uh, around the globe in terms of other uh, companies other areas of the the world for local support so that somebody doesn't have to get on a plane and fly out. So my specific role, Intermountain West, so Utah, Arizona, uh, and other parts of the, the Four Corners area. So what does your day-to-day look like in that role? Um, you're working with, with brands and trying to, to work with them to you know, use new systems that the company's developed and yep. new technologies when it comes to testing. What does your day-to-day look like? Yeah, great question. It's uh, no two days are the same, which is part of what drew me to this type of uh, role early on in my engineering career. Um, some days it may be working with an aerospace company, with a biomedical company, uh, outdoor company on a new product that they're bringing to market. How do they test this new material uh, or 
whether that's an R&D or in a, a quality control or QC type environment, so something coming off the production line. Um, other days, it's on the academic side. We have a, a lab. We want to figure out how to you know, prototype this system uh, and, and do some testing there. Some days it's new systems. Some days it is a, a retrofit type application. So the systems that Instron has built over the years, starting in 1946, there are things, uh, as you might expect to say, the aerospace world that are still in use today that were actually installed 60s, 70s. The, fundamentally, the mechanical aspects of a system, as long as those are intact, upgrading the electronics and other things. So some days it's a retrofit, you know, kind of putting a new engine in an old car. Other days, it's a brand new system. Other days, it's you know, uh, like any other company. We occasionally have either issues or uh, a lot of times we're solving complex engineering challenges. So maybe charting new paths and figuring out how to adapt a standard product to some of those new leading edge applications uh, and make some tweaks and kind of uh, figure out what we can use to, to solve that new problem. Uh, those can be complicated. They can be very easy, just kind of vary. So that's where the the application field engineering aspect comes in. And we have a team back in Mass that uh, sometimes I'll punt things over to them for the complicated stuff and say, can we do this? If so, let's figure it out. It may or may not be a custom or off-the-shelf type solution. Right. So how much of your day-to-day -day is selling equipment, testing equipment, versus mm -hmm. getting in there and training teams on those, that equipment or processes? Um, what's that breakdown look like for you? Yeah, uh, Typically more on the, the new machine, new configuration uh, aspect, we actually have a, a training group. Mm -hmm. So for uh, you know, lunch and learn type applications, for new product or for uh, specific topics of how do we do this with instrumentation we already have, we can do that over lunch. That's usually where I will present those things. We have local trainers and then also have uh, regional training classes for the more in-depth piece, which is a different group that handles that. So I'll help to schedule, help to, you know, coordinate with a, either a company that wants to do that on site or has a group of, of uh, employees that they want to have training for or send to one of our regional classes. Or a lot of cases, we'll do that on site on a onesie, twosie basis with our service team and with the training group. Right. So at this point, maybe some of our listeners are thinking, well, why are we talking about testing <laughs> on an outdoor podcast? And, and maybe not. Maybe I, I feel like people in the outdoor industry are more aware of the, the equipment that they use, the products they use, because in a lot of cases, uh, their safety depends on it, their warmth, their, you know, there's a lot of uh, performance focus on outdoor products. Um, but um, why, why should we care about testing? What, you know, uh, you, you sp spoke a little bit about this earlier, but everything in the world has to be tested, right. everything that is made um, by humans. Can you speak a little bit to that, why testing? Yeah, uh, why testing? Uh, as you mentioned, everything that is produced, there is a standard in, we'll say, almost all cases, uh, that defines how that product should be tested, how it should perform, so upper and lower bounds for strength, for durability, um, for new materials, characterizing those materials to make sure they're going to stand up and actually meet the design criteria that a, an outdoor product designer would, might uh, be requiring. A little bit more easier to think of in terms of regulated industries. You know, everybody listening probably has been on an airplane or been to the doctor. You know, in a biomedical medical world, so FDA regulation, FAA regulation, those same types of regulated industries for industry. So the things that go into testing an airplane have 
direct correlation to say climbing gear or things where you're putting your life on the line, uh, even you know, bicycle components, ski components. You know, think of Burton snowboards. If you're you know, bringing a snowboard to market, uh, it's this new thing, you strap on some bindings. How do we make the board thick enough so that the, the bindings that we're actually screwing into the top of this piece of wood or you know, whatever the material they were prototyping, those screws don't pull out, that's a test identifying the forces involved with the real world situation and then replicating those in a lab so that you can validate the design before you actually bring it to market or get yourself, you know, as a designer. I expect most of the folks listening to the podcast are both designing as well as using product because you don't want to have, uh, you know, be cold if it's a jacket. You don't want to fall or, you know, have a, a rope or a climb, piece of climbing equipment break that you're prototyping. So, testing that before you actually go out with a prototype of your own design in the field, let alone you know, somebody else's design. You want to make sure that that's going to function, going to be safe, as well as understand just the properties of the material so that you can design and can evolve, come up with the new stuff. Yeah. So um, what, what keeps you involved in, in testing or what led you to it? What's, what's a little bit of your background and, and um, how did you get involved? Yeah. Uh, mechanical engineer by school, uh, Figured out fairly early on that I liked being a little bit more mobile than, rather than setting and designing. Uh, you know, at that time, drafting and design, computer-based design was just coming on board back in the, uh, you know, the, the mid-90s when I was back in school. And identified that it was fun. I also didn't want to do that day in and day out at a desk. like to get out and uh, you know, test some designs. Um, started off with uh, more electrical tests. Uh, company in Texas, uh, spent uh, quite a few years with them and just kind of evolved into the, the engineering problem-solving aspect, but also the ability to be more mobile, uh, get out in the field, actually see a lot of new stuff um, and help others solve a problem. So it's kind of the, uh, I don't know if you remember, BASF was a commercial I remember uh, years ago, you know, we don't make the products you buy, we make the products you buy better. And that ability to apply some valuable input to help others be successful, and then also have the mobility aspect to go out and do some things uh, that I like to do out in the outdoors, you know, biking, skiing, others. It was just a little bit more flexible that way. Yeah. And tests just uh, allowed me to take some of those engineering things, apply it, and then also uh, have uh, some other play times. Uh, you know, and uh, look at companies that uh, are designing cool stuff and make sure that when I'm buying their products, I understand that yeah, these, these folks are doing a really good job. We're, and maybe I want to stay away from some other things because they're not doing, you know, validating things the, the way that may or may not be required. Do you come into that from a different perspective as a user of outdoor products, also being in the testing world? How do you look at products differently after kind of seeing how the sausage is made a little bit? Yeah, how, uh, great. Has that changed your perspective? Great question. Um, there are most definitely, um, I guess, two aspects. One, Products are made and designed. Companies exist to be in business. You know, part of that's profit. Part of that is you know, the the ability to actually sustain, to have jobs, to have the designers. So everyone going to school eventually, hopefully, will get a, a paycheck. So there's an aspect of cool products and especially leading edge products that may or may not demand a premium. There's a reason why there's a premium. That these things that exist. There's a lot of work that goes into that. There's a lot of time and effort that a designer, that an engineering team has spent making sure that that product, regardless of the selling price, meets the standards that you expect. 
So understanding that, uh, you know, trying to get stuff for free, uh, there's an aspect of that, that valuing what a company puts into their product. You can see the companies that really do a good job in that quality aspect, a little bit more uh, apt to work with those companies and to understand that there's a reason why this particular product costs more than the other product. And there's work that goes into that. Uh, as a cyclist, uh, you know, understanding if I'm out in the middle of nowhere on a trail or in the heat of a mountain bike race and a product fails, that ruins my day. I may have spent 50 bucks for registration fee. I may have spent quite a bit more in terms of travel expenses to go to some other races out of state. And to understand and to know this product versus that product probably has a better reliability. Uh, certainly having a, a little bit of an insight of the things that go into that test uh, or go into that product and all things are not created equal, which is a price tag is not always created equal. Is uh, you know, sometimes eye opening, right? And sometimes it's a case of yeah, it, it is a you know apples to apples, and one's more expensive, the other's less expensive. You go with the less expensive, so right. So um, consumers are armed with so much more information mm -hmm. today, and and are even more savvy than ever. Um, what are some of those? Are there Anything's right off the bat that you would recommend someone do to evaluate the quality of a product or in the case of maybe something that's more, um, you know, it's more of a safety product, a yeah. piece of climbing equipment. What, what do you do coming in with your knowledge to look at a product and evaluate whether you can't pull it? Well, I guess you could pull up all the, the test information or the standards that they've all met. But what do you think a consumer can do to better educate themselves on the quality of a product that they're looking to buy? Yeah, that's a great question. Varying levels of, of, of ability. Some cases, you know, there's a lot of content online. So doing some searches, understanding, you know, good and bad feedback. We live in an age where there's a lot of feedback, certainly at a moment's notice, some of which is valid. Others, you know, kind of sorting through and understanding what are, what's valid feedback from a design perspective or from an engineering perspective or, or some cases, uh, problems exist because of misuse. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was not used in the, the designer's uh, original intentions. Um, spending some time and not uh, just having a, a knee-jerk you know, buy versus uh, you know, option A versus option B. Uh, less for a low-cost uh, investment. You know, if I'm going to spend a dollar, it's less of my time and effort that's going to really make a difference because that dollar isn't probably going to have life in uh, love. If it's several hundred or several thousand, you spend a little bit more time testing, uh, or in terms of consumer tests, go validate uh, the same kind of stuff that happens in a lab. You can do at a go with a, a dealer or a retailer to try things out. A lot of companies have tried before you buy the rental. So you know, skis are certainly a great use case. You want a new pair of skis? You can go demo those out and see which ones fit. Not only the performance, but then also maybe fit your personal values in terms of what the company does. Are they investing in areas that are valuable to you, or are they, you know, not investing or uh, discounting some things that might be uh, important to you as well? All those things kind of go into that personal mix of which one, which companies to go with. But you also get a bit of a track record for some of the history of the companies that have been doing it, right? Right. Versus the Sometimes the deal's too good to be true because it is too good to be true. You find a lot of this more on the warranty and the, the quality side for returns for a lot of things you find on the web. Uh, and there's a lot of articles uh, the past few years for various components, you know, counterfeit products or companies that are not investing in the validation test piece 
that may or may not have some uh, you know, legal issues because of those uh, you know, failures existing in the field and customers that have gotten injured. Right. It's, it's one of those things that's interesting because testing happens behind the scenes, and it's mm-hmm. one of those things that maybe a consumer doesn't have access to or an understanding or they, they don't know what's happening behind the scenes when right. it comes to the test, you know, how much testing is going to their products. Um, I only know that Black Diamond goes above and beyond when right. they come to test things beyond the standard because I've taken a tour of their facility, right? right? right. But not every consumer gets that right. opportunity to Certainly. to see that and, and build that trust. They have to build that trust by experiencing right. the product and using it and, right. and building it that way. Yeah, and certainly to that aspect, you'll find you know the standards organizations have seals for electronics, you know mm-hmm. CE and UL for electronics, you know UIAA and others for the climbing industry. And if you look at the science behind it, the the levels that the, the you know a company like Black Diamond tests to, the forces that you might find as a climber out in the real world are much less than typically are tested to. Mm-hmm. So those companies that have the reputation and have the seal, that validation information uh, gives credibility to the fact that if you fall on the carabiner or that rope, all things being equal, it's going to, to work and going to stop you. Yeah. Uh, in the case of you know, free climbing, for instance, and you know, cams and other things for, for aid climbing, that's puts more of the burden on the user of placement for the gear, making sure that uh, all the Everything's placed in a, a safe and a strong location, but all things being equal, the fundamental pieces—the the webbing, the metal—all that's not going to fail, and that's right. you know goes into just some of those certifications as well as just companies that value and you know you, you find that with Black Diamond, if you look on the website, you know the the groups that go out at four in the morning and ski that are testing product, you may not see the label for that product that's going to come to market two or three years later, but companies and designers and engineers that use the product that they're working on definitely lends a lot more credibility to you know, they're putting their life on the line or they're willing to go out and uh, try it. Uh, probably worth at least spending some time looking at them as a, a possible a possibility for where you might want to invest your time. Do you see outdoor companies leading with that information more and more? It's, they're not required to necessarily market that they they test a product to to this degree or that degree but do you see more and more companies that are leading with that as part of their marketing and part of the appeal is well we've we've tested this to the limit and beyond um that's why you should come to us do you see that more in in outdoor than maybe some other industries Yeah, certainly uh you know one in particular uh here locally uh, nb composites Mm -hmm. you know there's unique in the marketplace for made in the usa by choice certainly a marketing slogan for them uh, manufacturing facility here, locally employed, as well as uh, you'll find on their website, or it used to be on the website, I haven't looked for it lately, but you know, one of their test labs. What are they doing for drop testing? What are they doing for some of the test pieces? Because that gives that credibility to not only is it made in the U.S., uh, and not to say that products not made in the U.S. don't uh, do you know, some of the same type of testing, but at least exposing some of the information that isn't proprietary necessarily. If here's the standard for composite testing. Here's how we go through that and we're actually doing it. We're not just saying we're doing it. We're actually going to show you in a quick little video of here's our test lab. Here's what we do to test the brake track. Um, all of those things that you find on the website certainly lends credibility to somebody that can find that uh, and make a decision. So maybe that's a good way for a consumer is look for those companies that are leading with that mm-hmm. information rather than shying away from, yep. uh, from that um, and becoming familiar with some of the 
uh, accrediting organizations yep. for, for outdoor, what would some of those be? You mentioned UIAA for climbing. Yeah, so UIAA and CWA uh, for the Climbing Wall Association. Um, ASTM is really kind of the gold standard in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, ISO for uh, Europe and other parts. And depending on the local uh, entity, there are other standards organizations by country. But for the U.S., ASTM uh, is kind of the gold standard for defining all of the material testing methods, essentially what we call a method or the process to test, um, whether that's just pure tensile or compression or you know, shear testing, all sorts of different types of fixtures for how this particular material needs to be tested. So for adhesives, for instance, you, know, you want to test how that adhesive sticks and you're going to peel things apart. There's a very specific standard that defines for, say, a running shoe. Here's how that adhesive for running shoe, the sole, the you know, uppers, here's how we test that. And that ASTM standard on their website, uh, ASTM.org, uh, probably a lot more, uh, not just light reading in a lot of cases, but yeah. it exists and you can figure out here's what goes into these small little things or the big things that you use every day. Right. Do you see any major differences um, working with outdoor clients from other clients that Instron partners with? I, I know you mentioned that Instron works with aerospace, uh, biomedical, mm -hmm. a variety, automotive, a variety of industries. When it comes to testing, what do you see that's different in outdoor? Is there anything uniquely unique to the outdoor industry? Yeah. You deal um, with? Yes, typically not all cases, but. A lot of the times, you know, compared to an aerospace or a large biomedical company that's doing 24-7, 365 production across multiple sites, the, the scale is a little bit smaller, usually on the outdoor industry, but not in all cases. Uh, the level of commitment to quality, certainly the same in most cases. Um, ability to make some you know, meaningful changes and do that quickly exists on both sides for lots of industries, typically on the outdoor side, maybe a little bit more nimble because it is a smaller operation. In some cases, you can iterate, can actually make changes you know, today or tomorrow or next week versus a regulated industry where it may take weeks and months, uh, you know, possibly years, depending on uh, the type of system because it's more complicated, larger scale. Uh, but overall, you know, the same type of engineers and you know, designers and other technicians uh, are just doing a little bit different job at a, a different scale. In, in an outdoor company, uh, when a product is being developed, when does testing happen or when should it ideally happen? Maybe you have some thoughts on that. Maybe, maybe it's for some companies they're they're testing at the very end, but maybe there's an opportunity to t do testing throughout. Um, when does testing happen uh, throughout the development of a, a product, throughout yeah, that process? Great question. Uh, fundamentally, Testing is not cheap. So that's that's one of the differentiators maybe between, say, back to the previous question, the industries, you know, the amount of time and effort and, and resources that need to go into test uh, takes some commitment. So for a small startup organization, testing early in the, the process may or may not be feasible, may not have the, the right tools in-house, and so maybe we have to actually outsource that to a testing lab, for instance. Uh, ideally, you're testing before you get to the finished product going out the door so you can determine and discover any potential quality issues, any potential design flaws much earlier in the process. So ideally, from the design, uh, you know, the initial prototyping stage, you're actually performing tests. Now, realistically, from a, an outdoor design perspective, the designer is 
or should be thinking of what materials are going to be part of that design, whether it's a jacket, a tent, a pair of shoes, uh, you know, climbing gear, bike gear. What are the materials that are going to be used to manufacture that? And from that set of materials, if it's you know, textiles, there's a whole gamut of different textiles that could be used. Those textiles have all been tested prior to anybody at the outdoor company actually getting them in the door to actually start stitching up and sewing or, or manufacturing product. So the test happens for, at the material level. Getting that in the door on the design certainly gives the credibility of we have this design criteria for strength or weight or you know, tensile strength of, say, uh, a jacket, uh, tear strength or tear uh, durability for a jacket. When that prototype is actually uh, developed, it's a great time to test, does that first prototype uh, actually meet what we're trying to design towards before we build another prototype? Do we need to iterate and go back to the drawing board and do that faster so that by the time you actually get to usable prototypes to take out in the field, one, you have the safety factor, you know, back to the climbing gear. You don't want to prototype something and then go put yourself on the rope at the end of the uh, hanging on a wall and have not validated that yes this material that we tried or this new design process it's actually as strong as the rest of our stuff now we can actually do some field testing and get that in the hands of the users so right you led me into my next question i, I imagine a lot of people think that field testing is when they think testing especially mm -hmm. in the outdoors they think field testing yeah. Yeah. um i would think in a company's designing product my constant fear when we're testing a product mm -hmm. in-house um, or with a, a partner lab is that we're not replicating every possible experience that the user is gonna have with right. our product. Is that a fear that, that you hear from companies is that there's ways that the consumer is gonna use this that maybe we're not thinking of or we can't completely replicate mm -hmm. in the lab? And, and is that where field testing comes in where you can give some unique, you know, put, put a product through some unique tests that maybe you couldn't use or perform in a lab? Definitely. What thoughts do yeah, you have there? Certainly, it's not an either-or situation. It's There are some fundamental material test properties from mm -hmm. the Instron perspective that need to be characterized and validated early on in the process. So if you're you know, designing a carabiner, you're not going to use a material for that carabiner that is not suitable or strong enough to meet the requirements of a carabiner. Once you've validated that the product, whatever it is, is suitable, it meets the design goals, it's strong enough, it's durable enough, or it's light enough, that it's safe enough, getting that in the hands of you know, users, whether that's in-house staff or you know, specific athletes or other product testers out in the field to get that real-world feedback is hugely important because you can, as you mentioned, uncover things that you, maybe the designer doesn't think about or a certain use case or a certain situation that might just be a perfect storm of this happens, you know, maybe you get stuck on the top of a mountain and the temperature is just right and the wind's blowing just the right way and you're getting a breeze through a zipper or something else that mm -hmm. you wouldn't think that at the right angle that wind hits the zipper and now you end up with a big poofy jacket. I'm sorry, yeah. maybe not the best analogy, but those real world situations right. are hard to replicate. Now, today, there's so many ways to acquire data that a lot of companies will take that real world application, put sensors, more so on a hard goop process, you know, a set of skis or a mountain bike, put sensors on the product, go out in the field, record all that information, and then come back in the lab and create custom solutions to validate and actually test what's happening in the real world. Um, we talked earlier in the class, you know, one of the things that you find uh, is actually a bicycling uh, 
article on Specialized Test Lab, mostly identifying counterfeit product, but there's a test where they are simulating sprint power for cyclists. So 1,200, 1,500 watts, maybe more, but they're doing that over, I think, 14 hours, if I remember correctly. Something that is not feasible to do in the real world, but you can at least identify the forces and where to apply the forces and then just let that run in an automated fashion and see what breaks. Something right. that might take years and years of real-world testing yeah. to identify, you can do that in the lab. Right. Testing seems like an interesting world to be in because it gets a lot of attention when something fails, right. but not when something performs just as planned, right? right? And I think uh, Zion Williamson in the, the Nike shoe exploding is mm -hmm. a, a, an example of that, right? Yep. That shoe, maybe in... in a million other instances would have worked just fine, right? right. But it's that one instance that right. leaves a black mark. Can you speak to that too? Is that kind of an interesting challenge that that testing faces? Um, is that maybe companies don't get as much praise when the, the performing, maybe that's just a standard that everyone just expects the product yep. to perform and when it, when it doesn't, that, you know, the criticism comes then. But do you have thoughts there? Definitely, yeah. The Test is not really the you know the, the coolest, the sexiest aspect of product design. And in a lot of companies, for better or worse, uh, still today, test is kind of the afterthought. It's There's a really cool design, whether that's outdoor product or others. We have this really cool new feature, this new technology. We want to get it to market. We want to get it to market quickly. Whatever the delays have been through that design process and the iteration, at some point, there's a, a target date to get that product to market. We now get the product ready to actually start manufacturing it. The quality team that's in charge of validating the design is actually meeting the quality coming off the line might be under the gun. And all too often, uh, large companies and you know, small companies throw things over the fence expecting that we can get it to market and meet our, our target goals without having actually fully vetted out the design or, or validating. So any delays on the test side become kind of in the critical path. Organizations that really do a good job and recognize that test is not only critical, maybe for climbing gear, because there's a standard, something that actually says we have to test this, um, but we also fundamentally want to do it, but they involve the test early in the process. Not only makes it easier to iterate on the design, it also makes it much, much more efficient. When that design is ready to be manufactured, the design team and the engineering team, and the manufacturing team and the quality team are all on the same page and have ideally vetted out the manufacturing process, especially in the case of a, a new system. If it's iterating on the colors or maybe a slight change of an existing design, less risk there. For a new product that you're bringing to market, the more you can communicate with the whole design team gets you to market faster. Also doesn't put tests in the critical path in the end. They can identify challenges up front, maybe make some small design changes that make a product easier to manufacture so that bringing the product to market faster, essentially the ROI on the whole effort can be uh, realized much, much sooner in the process. And the likelihood of uncovering critical failure points or flaws in the 11th hour or after a product is shipping, in the worst case, in the case of Zion, um, identifying those things early uh, is much, much easier. Uh, and everybody can go home and uh, get some sleep as opposed to staying up all night trying to get something uh, out in the 11th hour. Right. So more of a personal question to, to wrap up, but uh, what do you love about being a part of the outdoor industry? 
Ooh, uh, from a user and and uh, in your professional yep. career. Yeah, so the outdoor industry is always fun to work with, uh, just from a, a personal, like many folks, uh, both here in the state as well as you know, all over the country and all over the world. Playing in the outdoors has always been a huge part of my life. I grew up riding BMX bikes in a field just outside of our neighborhood, and you know, uh, at one point, uh, kind of got really into endurance cycling going, I think, three miles was the longest bike ride I did as a kid because that's where the nearest fireworks stand was. Hmm. Um, playing in the woods, camping in the woods, uh, discovered skiing. I grew up in the in Oklahoma. We didn't have mountains, although I technically actually have skied in Oklahoma once. Not worth it. Don't go. Uh, <laughs> skiing in, uh, you know, early in high school, got hooked, and the mountains were just you know, uh, the playground that uh, we all know and love. Um, working with outdoor companies because of the amount of gear that has been amassed over the years uh, is always fun from an engineering techie perspective to understand what goes into the process. Even if it's, if it's not something I necessarily use and push to its limits, understanding here's how you know laser welding and the laser cut uh, products are, are manufactured. Here's how a composite uh, product is manufactured. Just cool from a technology engineering perspective. One of the things that got me into engineering in the first place. And Back when I was in school, there wasn't this outdoor product design type curriculum. So some of the aspects of design that are very similar in the engineering and design philosophies, just different set of tools, maybe a different set of uh, paradigms, uh, learning just enough or seeing somebody that can do those things and design really cool products to have a much bigger appreciation of all the stuff that goes into that uh, outdoor product that I'm using uh, out in the field. Well, that's great. Aaron, thanks for taking some time. Um, it, how do people reach reach you or reach the organization? Just instron.us, is that right? Correct. Yep. A ton of information there. Um, and then uh, standards information, all the things that go into the product side of things. Uh, ASTM.org is a great spot to start. Uh, but certainly the Instron US uh, website gets you to uh, the main launch point. That's great. Well, I've learned a lot. This has been really helpful and really interesting. So thanks again for taking the time. Oh, pleasure. I'm glad thanks to have you here. Me. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more outdoor stories and content, connect with us on highlandermag.com. Yeah.